Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest, and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who has lots of friends who do. And it's funny you should say that, Brian, because we actually brought a friend in to record with us today. What? Where? (laughs) (laughs) You were planning that. I was not, actually. She's sitting right here. We're in a very small room. (laughs) (laughs) Megan, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, um, I'm Megan. I've already started with um. Cool. (laughs) I'm Megan. Uh, I know Brian and Shannon from undergrad, where I actually got a degree in religious studies, in addition to my theater degree. And I thought, why stop at one? I am about a couple months away from completing my second degree in biblical studies, and I have been accepted and will be kicking off my third degree uh, next year. Ooh, Megan. So lots of degrees in theology, Bible, religious studies. We brought a real-life theologian to the show. Basically, we brought her here because I don't know what I'm talking about beyond what I just look up on the internet each week. And I know less than that. (laughs) So, this week, Brian is the heathen, is the topic of our show. And Megan is going to talk about the glaring mistakes that she has found in the episodes that we have recorded so far. That we have released so far. (laughs) Brian, you make it sound like you've gotten everything wrong. (laughs) I would like to assure your listeners that you're right like 95% of the time. All right, I'll take that. Like, (laughs) I was trying to come up with like, I was like trying to re-listen and be like, what have they gotten wrong? (laughs) Honestly, not much. Oh boy, I mean... Enough people have told me the pronunciations that I'm aware. (laughs) I I have left all the pronunciations at the door. We're just not going to correct any of those. Fair. Yeah. Who really knows? Yeah. Angel languages. Clearly I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right, Megan. Where are we starting? Well, I just want to kick it off with the original Sin episode. Uh, Right. Mostly because the beginning, it's like a fun tidbit that always gets thrown out at me a lot when I'm talking about the Adam and Eve story and the, like, eating of the apple, question mark? Sure. Mystery fruit? Yeah, I was gonna say, it's a mystery fruit. Uh, Most scholars think it wasn't an apple, so this idea that it's become an apple in, like, modern popular culture is super interesting to people, um, especially scholars. A lot of people think it was a pomegranate. That would make sense. Which I think is even more interesting because pomegranates take so much more work to eat than an apple. You cannot impulsively consume part of a pomegranate. Like, you really gotta think about that. Yeah. Do you know Um, why they think pomegranate? I think it has something to do with the region of the world they think Eden's in, but I'm actually not 100% sure. Okay, cool. (laughs) If you know, (laughs) hit us up. Yeah. (laughs) And then talking about who ate in what order Eve definitively eats the apple first I do the super fun creative drama improv exercise thing called bibliodrama where we play creative drama games with the biblical texts it's part of my research in uh, performance and the biblical texts and how they interact so this narrative is actually like one of the big ones I use because most people know it it's super fun This one I've actually looked at both in the Hebrew and in English. And there's like a definitive pause after Eve eats it. In in English Bibles, it's a semicolon. 
there's this like whole space of a semicolon where Eve is the only one who's eaten it, and then she like has to make this conscious decision to give it to Adam. So really, the the order thing in my head is just wishful thinking of me as a raging feminist. Yes, <laughs> but like she gets a lot of agency. Like she has realized she's you know probably damned. Okay. And she and she's like, hey Adam, you want to oh, play? Oh, that's even more interesting. I guess what's interesting to me is the idea that she could. Does she think of it as she's damned and she's bringing him down with her? Or does she think that she's now empowered and is, like, graciously sharing that empowerment? I would like to believe the latter. Same. But I think that the first one is also an interesting idea. That, like, without (laughs) Eve, Adam would never have had this knowledge. I mean, it's kind of true either way you read the story. Mm -hmm. And either way, like, has come up on this podcast so many times... That's not in there. The Bible doesn't get that detailed. No. <laughs> Speaking of not getting that detailed. <laughs> so that's like actually one of my favorite things, because Shannon, you're always like, but why does it not tell us more? Tell me everything. Honestly, <laughs> the why does the Bible not tell us more is why my entire field of study exists. Great. <laughs> um, because we're all like, why does the Bible not tell us more? <laughs> so we do things like pick apart the texts in their ancient languages, but there's all of these, Brian, you had mentioned it briefly that like midrash, like Jewish midrashic tradition is Jewish rabbis going in and being like, well, these things are missing because, and they like explain the missing pieces. So they kind of like do what you're always like, but why? The rabbis are like, all right, all the Shannons of the world who keep asking me why. (laughs) And then you also get like what we've had in the Bible isn't a definitive collection of all of the texts written about Jesus or whatever at that time, talking about New Testament texts. So there's like this whole field of extra canonical texts that are just like, we have them. Like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, any of the infancy gospels where they tell like extra stories. Like one of my favorites in one of the infancy gospels, Kid Jesus kills his school teacher, and what? then and then yeah. Joseph was like, "No, no, no! You cannot kill your teachers." And Jesus is like, "Fine," and like raises him from the dead because dead dad said so. Yeah, we we will definitely get to the infancy narratives. They're wild. <laughs> I'm already on board. These are things that the church was like, maybe let's not have Kid Jesus killing his teachers in the Bible, which makes sense. I guess that that tracks. But what you're saying is that there's, like, a whole set of deleted scenes in the director's cut that (laughs) we're missing. Yes. Great. Well, they're not necessarily missing. They just don't make it to, like, the land of faith. Yeah. They're in books. They're just not in the bound book that we have as the Bible. Yeah. And that's another fun thing. Like, Brian comes at this from someone, like, a person of significant faith who interacts primarily with the texts on a faith-based, like, what you'd interact with in church, which is why I, like, learn many things when he's talking about things that aren't found in the biblical texts, because my field of study is, like, pick apart the texts, do them in their ancient languages, and we look, we're very text-heavy, so, like, any of the doctrines that aren't in the book, I'm very Protestant in that way. Um, <laughs> any of the any of the doctrines not in the book aren't things that I necessarily study, so I'm like out of my element for those. Um, That's great. I'm glad that even you're learning stuff on the show because I learn something every week. I think I do too. My big thing is more church history nerd, which is more theologians than actual 
based in the Bible. Yeah. yeah, and like, I mean, that's a division even in academia. You have the theologians and the ethicists, and so they're a whole different section. Like, in my uh, academic department, we have a New Testament and early Christianity section, which I'm a part of, and then the uh, integrated studies in ethics and theology section, which is like a whole nother, they talk about like all of the like, his, like theologians through history, and then I get lost on like page two or whatever. <laughs> um, there's this sort of, even within the academy, a divide between the people who deal more with why do we do things in church the way we do versus what do the texts say? What can we reclaim from that? Cool. Yeah. I like that. that. You talking about that semicolon, it feels like Shakespeare text analysis. Yeah. And that's actually one of the reasons, because I started my master's program as a theological studies person, which is like looking at all of the theologians where I got lost. But then one of my professors told me that I should look at a little bit more biblical studies based stuff. And it felt exactly like script analysis and coming from a theater design perspective, I'm used to picking apart a text in front of me and digging into like, weird punctuation and like, where is a pause here? Why are we pausing here? So that's things I'm super interested in. I felt right at home, because that's what I did before. That makes total sense. Still do. And that's so not my jam, but I appreciate that you do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most fun. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, so what else is on your list? Oh, so the biggest thing that has been driving me nuts. Oh, here we go. Across multiple episodes. And I've already mentioned this to Brian, and he's like, you need to wait till we start recording. (laughs) So, Shannon, you seem to have gotten the impression that the God of the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament, but yes. I'm going to call it Hebrew Bible because... You do what you need to do. I'll be there, I think. Uh, mostly because Old Testament implies that it is, like, leftover and old and that the new one has replaced it, which has theological problems if you are a Jewish person. Great. Uh, so Hebrew Bible is usually what I'll call it. It's the same thing. Sure. You you have seemed to understand the Hebrew Bible God yes. as what? Is that mean God? No, that's nice God. <laughs> I can't keep this, is, this is the problem. <laughs> this that... is the problem I'm having. <laughs> I can't keep them straight. Because, yeah, you call one of them mean God, which is the Hebrew Bible God. Okay. One of them nice God. And that's, it's more complicated than Well, that. clearly, because I can't keep them straight. So I just wanted to push back against this. The the God of the Hebrew Bible is angry, and the New Testament God is nice. Right. Because this is also not just a you trope. This is a trope that lots of people have talked about. I mean, I got it from somewhere, which means someone said it probably in a movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it's... To some extent, there is backing for it, but at the same time, the way that the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament function is just different enough... Mm -hmm. That to classify one as angry and one as nice Mm -hmm. is problematic. Cool. So I decided I would bring you instances of Hebrew Bible God being nice Mm -hmm. and New Testament God being not so nice. (laughs) Oh, great. Some people are going to get smoked. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to get as detailed in story time as Brian just because... Oh, I do I, love my story I will, time. I will fall down the rabbit hole and you will never retrieve me. This episode will be 12 weeks long and no one wants that. Yeah, this is, everyone, this is an announcement. We're starting a new podcast. It's just this. <laughs> I, 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 like I said, I'm a graduate student. I don't have time. <laughs> if there are any, like, 
pre-college students in the world who want to study this, someday Megan will be a professional academic and can just teach you this in 12 weeks. <laughs> yeah. That's about as long as a semester, right? Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is just the prerequisite for a course you're building someday, I'm sure. Oh, yes. This this podcast will probably be in courses I teach. <gasps> That's that, so exciting. That makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's a good thing, obviously. I'm here. And I picked a couple of the female narratives of the Hebrew Bible because we talk about dudes a lot in religion and, like, ain't nobody got time for that. I'm so, in for it. Some of my favorite instances of Hebrew Bible God being, like, not mean, kind of nice, making shit happen, doing awesome stuff, mm-hmm. is in some of our female narratives. So I took a course on Ruth, Esther, and Judith where we looked at them. And there are texts where they may actually not entirely do the thing I want them to do since there's also debate about like where God is in the narrative. But like, ultimately, if you think God runs the whole show, which as we know from faith, we... We believe God runs the whole show. Sure. Do you wanna do you wanna pick one of the three of those stories and give a real quick overview? Because I don't know that Shannon probably knows any of those narratives. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm gonna do Judith just because she has the most dramatic one. She does, and she is my favorite. She's you should really have a whole episode on the Judith story. We we probably I've definitely considered it. But yeah, just give like the main points. Alright. This uh, Israelite town is under siege Great. by Israel's enemies. Cool. There's many of them. Unnecessarily information. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that was a Good job doing the quick cliff notes version of this. <laughs> Israel town under siege. All the guys are like, all the like elder men humans of the town are like, man, we should just give ourselves up. They're going to like siege us out till we starve to death. And then Judith is like, nah, chill. I got this. And then they're like, what are you doing? She's like, I can't tell you. So then she like heads out of town because it's like a walled town. Yeah. With like her maid servant lady. And they go, like they walk like straight into the enemy's camp. Okay. And like Judith is really hot. This is an important part of oh, the yeah. story. Okay. And they she has like it. put on her fancy she, dress like, to she, go like, do this. put on her cute clothes and she is <laughs> ready to go. Great. Um, and then they literally... Describe her as hot a number of times. Like, the guards are so distracted by her hotness, they're like, of course you can come meet our leader. So, then she hangs out with the leader, and she's, like, there for a week or so, but she's, like, established she needs to go ritually clean herself because she's Jewish. And he's like, all right, cool, you can do that. And then the leader, Holofernes, gets super drunk one night, and he's like, we gotta sleep with her because she's hot, and if we don't sleep with her, she'll laugh at us. Okay. Because <laughs> logic. Dude logic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that it's she'll laugh at him, yeah. not like his buddies are going to laugh no. at him. No. Um, and then he's like, all right, like drunken homie is like, I'm going to sleep with her. It's going to be great. And then she's like, ah, yes. She's totally sober. She's like, ah, yes. I flutter, I flutter, I flutter, hair flip. Yes, let's go to your tent. He passes out because he's drunk. And then she beheads him. Quality. And then she takes his head and puts it in her purse. Okay. <laughs> and then walks back into the Israelite town. Okay. And is like, all right, lazy men who are in charge, I solved your problem. And gives them Holofernes' head. And then she is exalted forever and never gets married again. She's a widow. Yeah. Okay. They make a big point of that at the beginning of the story. 
The best part of this in, is in all of the, like, medieval art, she's, like, naked while cutting off his head, and I don't understand why. <laughs> so she's pretty badass. Yeah. That sounds awesome. And it's very much, like, she is depicted as, like, and all three of these women sort of have these, Israel's going to continue because they do a thing. Yeah. So yeah. there's this- We almost died, but- <laughs> And there's a lot of, like, in the entire Hebrew Bible, there's a lot of the saving of Israel- over and over and over again. Like the Exodus tradition where yeah. Moses brings the Israelites out of Egypt. Yep, yeah, we've covered um, that one. And then Hello. we hit up interior design. Interior God, design. Who is one of my favorite characters. And also not mean. <laughs> not mean. We're no. talking about nice God versus mean God. Interior design God is maybe a little intense and does get God a little is, mean later God is with the like. God no, a little intense, yeah. but I think that's part of the job description. He's got a lot going on. But yeah, so there's just this repetitive cycle of, like, promise of newness and saving again. And that's sort of like, if you're going to draw a through line, it's a saving over and over again. Yeah, and I guess, so it makes sense that there, it seems like God is being mean sometimes, because in order for the narrative structure to work, for the people to have been saved, they have to be in a bad spot. Great. So, in the story of Judith... Does she, like, get a vision from God to tell her to do this? Or does she just trust that she, that her people will be okay and this is her best idea to make it happen? So at the beginning of the narrative, the male elders are like, we're gonna basically give God an ultimatum. They're like, all right, if you don't save us in three days, I don't know if three is the actual number. And she's like, if I, if God doesn't save us in three days, we'll hand ourselves over. And Judith is like, you do not give ultimatums to God. I think it's more of a, like, she trusts in God, that God will deliver them, Mm -hmm. that she has the balls to walk into the enemy camp with, like, just her lady friend. And there's that, like, respect for God, where, you like, you don't challenge God. That is a strong component of that story. Seems like if you trust God, God won't do you wrong. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Like, that's that's the whole story of uh, Wandering in the Desert, is God gives them everything that they need. And then sometimes they don't trust God. Yes, and then they worship cows instead. That, yes. that did happen, yeah. That did happen, yes. Yeah. Cool, so that's Old Testament, um, not purely an angry God. Talk about New Testament when Jesus is kind of mean sometimes. Jesus is not always your friendly Sunday school, Jesus loves me, yes I know. Great. He does lots of fun things. My favorite of which is the cleansing of the temple story. It appears in yeah. all four of the Gospels. Oh boy, so that means it's a big deal. So it's a big deal. It's after Jesus comes into Jerusalem. In, well, it's not in the book of John, but Brian has kind of mentioned that the book of John does its own thing. Yeah. But in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is in the last week of Jesus' life. Okay. And he comes into the temple in Jerusalem and they're like selling things and money changers and everything is a mess. And Jesus comes in as like absolutely the freak nut. Can I curse on this podcast? Oh yeah, you can. Okay. So So Jesus is like absolutely not. And he starts flipping tables. Actual tables? Like, literally, like, flips tables. I mean, I guess I could look it up. Um, He also makes a whip. Yep, whips people. (laughs) Um, So, not super friendly. He could have just been like, hey, y'all, can we not? But instead, he's like, let's destroy some shit. Okay, so he starts a riot? Kind of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and this is, like, for the Synoptic Gospels, like, the inciting incident. Because he gets 
you know, executed as a political upriser. So this is sort of like a, if you start a riot in the temple, then that will, you know, generally okay. not lead to good things. Not a good look. Yeah. And then the other instance of uh, God's anger in the New Testament that is probably my favorite thing to talk about is the entire book of Revelation. Which I've heard is a trip. It is. And I don't want to, like, delve too far into it, but the idea is, like, this is the apocalyptic end time where God is then going to destroy everything. Yeah. Uh, side note, this is also like a specialty of Megan's, so we yes. could go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yes, I I could fall so far down the Revelation rabbit hole, you would never see me again. Um, you would be proud of me. Every time I say it, uh, I make sure that there's no S hanging on the end there. That's true. It is not, it is not plural. <laughs> I have a nerdy shirt that says Revelations with the S, and then it has like a little like the cross out symbol that you use in editing. Like if you're... <laughs> That's a very nerdy shirt. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, I got it at the, at the annual meeting of the SBL this year, the Society of Biblical Literature. And it's it's one of my favorite things I own. That's great. It's very nerdy. <laughs> but yeah, so this entire book is about like uh, the destruction of everything bad and then the reestablishment of a new Jerusalem. So sort of it is it is it helps to span this idea of there is this judgment and destruction that is then followed by, a, like, a newness. Uh-huh. Kind of like, th- in the flood, you get the destruction and the newness. Have you guys done the flood? No, but I know that the flood happens. Yeah, like, you know, God destroys everything, and then you get a whole new thing. Yeah. Which is kind of, like, a common... You see it in the prophets' stories a lot in the Hebrew Bible, okay. where God destroys everything. Yeah. Uh, seemingly, especially because that comes around the first destruction of the temple. The prophets usually sit around that time. So you get this destruction of everything and then the re-creation, which is a constant, which seems it's pretty cool to me. Yeah. Yeah. Seems cool enough. While we're on Revelation, do you want to once and for all settle the Johns? Oh, the Johns. The Johns are different. <laughs> Tell me, talk to me about Johns. So we've talked about in the wedding of Cana... Uh, where are my Cana notes? I like took notes on things. Except for when I'm driving when I listen. Um, so Very John, responsible. <laughs> you know, so there are a few Johns of the Bible. Yes. The first of whom I think is important to mention is the John, the disciple. Okay. Who is historically most likely not the John who wrote the gospel. Okay. Since the gospel of John was written Way. a ways after. Great. Jesus. But the naming convention, it was named after him, right? I'm actually not sure, um, okay. just because I don't do Joanine studies, and I'm afraid if my professor who does ever listens to this, um, <laughs> he will disown me. So I'm not going to say anything about John. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay, so, so there is a John who's a disciple. There is a John yes. who's a disciple. And there is a John who wrote the a Gospel John of John. A John or a John school that wrote the Gospel of John. And so they might, that might not be one person, it might be a group of humans. Yeah. Maybe. Sure. Like, there's a tradition that followed that gospel, basically, is what Shane yes. is asking. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a, for each of the gospels, there's usually, like, a community or school sitting behind them. Okay. Usually they were written for that particular group in mind. Okay. Um. So, like, if I was going to write the narrative of Jesus for theater people, yeah. it might look different than if I was going to write 
a narrative of Jesus for my academic circle. Okay, so that, all right, my mind has just been blown. Well, we've talked about that a little bit before where I've mentioned, like, certain gospels are written for more of the Jewish community versus the Gentile community. Yeah, and I think that, like, those two things just, like, collided in my brain in a way that, like, everything clicked. (laughs) (laughs) That, like, there were different groups of people who needed to hear the story told different ways so those all, like, happened simultaneously, and then we'd, like, popped names on them so we could keep track of which ones were which. Yeah. Basically. And one of them is John. Yes. They all happen to share the names of disciples of Jesus, but whether or not those are the same people or just, like, names are common yeah. is a thing. And then the John of Patmos, who wrote the Book of Revelation, yeah. is also a different John. And that's Crazy Wander Around in the Desert, John. No, Patmos John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a different, different John. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so and he didn't write any of these things. <laughs> so John the Baptist. I would be surprised if he could write. Ran was wandering around in the desert. John. He was wandering around in the desert, baptizing people, and he baptizes. Does he baptize Jesus? He yes. Does. Okay. Yeah. So he baptizes Jesus, and he's a character in all these stories, but he doesn't. His own story isn't like a thing written somewhere. Yeah. There might have been, like, John the Baptist circles that had more mm-hmm. things written that have then been co-opted into the Jesus narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, the Magnificat, one of my professors thinks, might have been uh, actually originally a hymn about Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mother. Okay. So, like, some things may have been co-opted out of the John the Baptist tradition into the Jesus tradition. Okay. Which would make sense because he's a he's a big figure in the Jesus tradition as yeah. it is, so. But he's just sort of a character in the Jesus story. So where do the epistles fit in this? Which John wrote those? <laughs> I'm not, I'm pretty sure there, it's also like a Joe and I school that is okay. a different John, but like I said, not a Joe sure. and I scholar. Fair and enough. And I, I read it recently about where it fits, but probably not the same John. Yeah, so okay, so let's count some Johns. <laughs> okay. We've got John the Baptist in the desert. John yes. the Baptist. Definitely all his own. John. All his own John. We have John of Patmos, who is crazy acid trip John. Yeah. <laughs> he's his own thing. Revelation John, my man. He's Megan's best friend John. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. He's his own. And then there's John the Disciple. Yes. Yeah. And then there is the school of John. Yes. Yeah. And then he associated John. That may John's have a there. real John. Yeah. So this question was the reason for this episode, really. Was Megan yelling at me about get your John straight? It actually was me, like, <laughs> screaming at my steering wheel. When Shannon was like, are they the same John? And Brian was like, mm, yeah. And I'm like, no! And that was no, Brian no, being no. like, mm, this podcast is a half an hour. We're going to keep moving. <laughs> So we have a whole new episode just because of me. <laughs> All right, so we had the, the approximately five Johns. Yes, the, the land of Johns. Great. Yeah, and then, oh man, we could get into the popes that are named John, and there's lots of other it's, Johns. There's a reason it's a hit name in Christian. <laughs> My dad's name is John. So is mine! There we go! My dad will listen to this episode of it. My roommate is named John. Everybody's a John. Everyone gets a John. You get a John, and you it's get like a John. It's like Oprah's handing out Johns. Yeah, only it's God, I think, handing out Johns at this point. I mean, God is Oprah. Oprah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> There's so many problems right, with that, that whole place. <laughs> That's the one that all of your uh, your classmates are going to yell at you for. God is, God is Oprah. I mean, according to Ariana Grande, God is a woman, so, so and you know, I you know there's some there's some really cool feminine uh, imagery for God, which is another thing that we will get into at some point. Yeah, episode <laughs> ideas abound. 
All right, we've covered the many Johns. The many Johns. What's next? I think we need to talk about your homeboy, Paul. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, we should probably talk about my homeboy, Paul. I, um... I'm very much not a fan of your own boy, Paul. I just think Paul is a delightful weirdo. Part of it is my fault. I like Paul. I, I, there are a lot of things I don't like about Paul, but I really do like a lot of his writings. So I end up portraying him in a mostly positive light, and I have not introduced you to some of the problematic things about him. I was told this moment would come. Paul is what I like to describe as the OG mansplainer. Great. <laughs> he does, I believe it. He does a lot of explaining. Yeah. Sometimes unnecessarily. Sure. He's quite verbose. Very verbose. Um, he is usually who is used in the arguments using the New Testament against homosexuality. Mm-hmm. That um, I don't like. That being said, there's a lot of misuse of even Paul's pretty clear-cut statements. He pretty much says that, like, Men should not lie with men. Women should not lie with women. But he's probably responding more to the Greek culture than actually, like, anything that looks like what modern LGBTQ relationships look like. So it's not really good to use those in a modern context because it doesn't make any sense. He does never actually say women should not lie with women. Oh, I thought he did. I don't. I'm pretty sure he doesn't because I once did, like, a thing where I stumped a priest with that. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Stumping a priest is maybe Brian's, like, weird favorite pastime. That's not, no. (laughs) I would believe it. Um, That makes me sound much meaner. Megan has just whipped out a book that seemed to contain Greek. (laughs) It does! I have two books that contain Greek. (laughs) Which means this just got 100% more legit than it ever could have been. (laughs) I just, I thought it was in this book. But I'm not going to say which one in case anyone listens to this unless I find it. Paul was probably a not He's a also nice the one that tells women not to talk in church. Oh, yeah. We talked about that once, right? Yes. Though he does kind of contradict himself in another letter um, where he talks about when women are preaching, they should do this. Yeah. I mean, and the thing about Paul is he's not a systematic thinker. It's not like Paul knows what Paul has said. All of his letters are like written to very specific communities about specific issues responding to very specific things. Can I say the word specific anymore? Who knows? You can keep saying it until you say it wrong, which (laughs) might happen. (laughs) Might start talking about the Pacific Ocean and then... (laughs) But yeah, I... He knows his audience, and he sort of tailors his writings yeah. to his audience. Is sort of the vibe I've got. He is very self-aware of that fact, for better mm-hmm. or worse. He once says, um, I am weak to the weak, I am strong to the strong. He like he goes off on this thing and says, like, I am all things to all people, or whatever the, the actual quote is. Yeah. It's- he definitely knows he's tailoring, which is maybe not the best thing. Because it makes our theology a lot more confusing. And also I feel like it's a little bit, like, two-faced. Of he, if he's, like, not being super consistent in some, like, key areas because he just wants to, like, make everyone happy or make everyone do something he thinks is right. And so he kind of fudges the details to get what he wants. My opinion on Paul is he has priorities. He wants to make sure that everybody is getting on board with this Jesus movement, and he thinks the end is coming super soon, so he's willing to give up the smaller issues. So he's an ends-justified means guy. Kind of. Like, if everyone believes in Jesus, and Jesus is happy when he comes back, 
And judgment happens. Well, because he believed that that coming back and judgment happening was happening in their lifetime. Yes. So there's a different sense of urgency than Mm -hmm. like 2,000 years later when we're like, oh, yes, Jesus will come back eventually. Yeah. Versus like, he's coming back tomorrow. Yeah. Like, get yourself ready. Which is why he's like a lot of get married if you have to, but like try not to have to. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah. So he's. Maybe not doing things the, like, nicest or most legit way, because he's just trying to make sure that the most people are saved tomorrow or the day after or next week. Pretty much. And also trying not to rock the boat too much, which is where a lot of the not good stuff on women comes from, I think. Yeah, he's looking very short term, it feels like. Mm -hmm. There's not. He's not playing the long game. You do have, I have found this. It is in Romans 1, 27 through 28. And well, 26 has, I'm not going to do the Greek. I'm just going to read out of my translation. So for this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural. So women are included. Okay. And then we get into the like men with men. But. Right. But that, so that one is less explicit than the men. And also he, the words women with women are never said, I think is more the trivia point that Brian is trying to make. Yes. <laughs> but what would you qualify as unnatural? I don't know. I don't know what you're getting up to. <laughs> but I mean, like, it definitely falls under that. Uh, it, yes. You're, yes, you're You're absolutely right. I was doing it as a, like, being a jerk. Being a smartass. <laughs> yes. Yes. Brian was semantically winning. <laughs> You were the one who was talking about your lo- loving your semicolon earlier. <laughs> I do love my semicolons, thank you very much. There's also a Hebrew afnak, which is like a Hebrew semicolon, which is like, oh. you gotta pause here, so like, I will keep my semicolon. <laughs> Alright, I think one more. Do you have do you have one more point oh that you would like to make? We, I mean, we can do a couple more if you want. Yeah. I just don't want to keep you here forever. No. <laughs> I mean, like, I think those are the major ones. Like, everything else is just like... Silly me notes. Do you have a good, like, fun fact that you wish you could share with our audience? Oh, gosh. Fun fact, fun fact. (laughs) All right, I'm actually going to share my favorite proverb as my fun fact. Yes, yes. So, have I told you about proverbs? I mean, like, I know what proverbs are, but I don't know if I know what proverbs are. Okay, the the book of proverbs. It is a book full of proverbs. Yeah, it's, it's, uh... (laughs) (laughs) Am I missing something? It's sayings that are attributed to King Solomon. Okay, so they're all... I didn't know that. Solomon gets all the proverbs. All of the proverbs. So, this is actually the words of Agner, son of Jacque. Words. I can't pronounce them either. So, it's out of Proverbs 30, verse 2. I'm just going to read verse 2 because it's way more fun out of context, which is a very poor way to do the Bible. (laughs) But in this case, it makes it very fun. I'm ready. (laughs) Surely I am too stupid to be human. I do not have human understanding. Good. <laughs> and this is my favorite proverb. Proverbs. <laughs> I came across it when I was trying to do Hebrew homework. I was very much failing at. So it made me feel like I had been seen by the biblical text. <laughs> I'm glad that you had that moment. I did. All right. Well, let's take a break and then we'll come back for even more fun. Sounds good. Whee! And we're back. And now it is time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon, and this week also Megan, about a saint, and they have to together guess 
what this person is the patron of. Are you nervous, Megan? Yeah. I grew up Protestant. I don't know anything about the saints. Oh, I grew up Catholic and I love them. (laughs) And I love how much Brian loves them. It brings me joy. So, this week, we have St. Bridget of Ireland. Ooh. I do like a good lady saint. I do too. And I'm Irish. Even better. Amazing. Uh, All right. Tell us about Bridget. Bridget was born in 451 in Foghart County, North Ireland. She was the daughter of Dubtok, the pagan Scottish king of Leinster, and Bracca, the Christian Pictish slave who had been baptized by St. Patrick. Wow, we were like really right on it with the pronunciations from the beginning again. So many fun words in that. Yeah, there's, oh boy. Gaelic. I bet I'm saying I'm all wrong. <laughs> I think we got Patrick. Patrick yeah, is oh. probably right. And I, I feel confident in Bridget. <laughs> yes, I so. believe you. Or is it Brigid? Oh, dang. <laughs> it's Bridget. I don't care. My brother had a friend named Bridget. It's Bridget. Okay, okay. <laughs> We're keeping it. <laughs> when Dubtok's wife discovered that Bracca was pregnant, he sold her to a druid landowner. As a child, anytime the druid tried to feed her, she would vomit because he was impure. She was able to survive by drinking the milk of a white cow that had red ears. Even as a young child, Bridget was very holy. She once heard St. Patrick preach and that influenced her for her whole life. She often gave what little her and her mother had to the poor. One time, she gave away her mother's entire supply of butter, and it was later replenished after Bridget prayed. When she was ten, she was taken to live with her father because he was legally her master because he had owned her mother. While living with him, she continued to give all that she could to the poor, including some of her father's possessions. Amazing. (laughs) He told her to knock it off, and she responded, Christ dwelled in every creature. This annoyed him even more, so he decided to sell her to the king of Leinster. While the two men were haggling over the price of Bridget, she was giving away her father's prized jeweled sword to a leper so that he could sell it to pay for food for his family. Dubtok was about to smack her when she said that she had given the sword to God through the leper. The king was a Christian, so he forbade Dubtok from striking her, saying, Her merit before God is greater than ours. He also convinced her dad to give her her freedom, finally. So then she went back to live with her mom. And her mother was in charge of her druid master's dairy, but she was getting too old to do the work at this point. So Bridget took over. Even though she gave away most of the milk to the poor, the dairy still prospered under her. And because it was doing so well, her master granted her mother's freedom. So after that, her mom was free. Bridget went back to her dad, who had arranged a marriage for her. Of course. Here we That's go. That's what happens with lady saints. Very <laughs> common lady saint trope. Um, this seemed like a actually not a bad one. It was a young bard. Oh, great. All right. I like that we've gotten at least two D&D classes in the story. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Please tell me there's a warlock somewhere. Uh, not that I'm aware of. I'm sorry. Damn. <laughs> he could be hidden. Yeah. Yeah. She refused this marriage. Because, of course, she did. And and she instead went to the local bishop and took a vow of chastity. Like you do. Yeah. Yeah. Bridget was also very beautiful. And so that no one else would ask for her hand in marriage, she prayed that her beauty would be taken away from her. Uh, This was granted, but her beauty was restored after she took her final vows. 
So she was briefly not beautiful while she was like a novice? Basically. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> and, you know, people left her alone. Sure. You gotta focus on your novicing or however that works. Yeah, I don't know. So you guys will love this next part. Speaking of her vows, when St. Patrick heard them, because he was the one who heard her, fi- her final vows, he mistakenly used the form for ordaining priests. <gasps> so is she technically a priest? Maybe. <laughs> I love this. Yes. And when someone later told Patrick that he had made a mistake, he said, so be it, my son, she is destined for great things. So, so Patrick thought she was a priest. Yeah, so maybe Bridget is a priest? <laughs> I like it. I dig it. Yeah, into it. From there, she went on to start convents all over Ireland. She also invented the double monastery. We talked about double monasteries in our last episode? Yeah, we did. So Megan has not heard about like, double monasteries yet. I was like, what is a double yet. monastery? I learned this last week. Do you want to explain? A double monastery is where it's both a monastery and a convent in one. Ooh. So yeah, dudes and ladies living in the same building. So separate, but in the same building. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and this uh, this is when she founded the Church of the Oak in Kildare. And that was the first double monastery. She also founded a school of art that specialized in metalwork and illumination. And she died at the age of 74 of natural causes. But what happened after she died? Her body got moved once. It okay. was not that exciting, to be there honest. There were no, like, mysterious parts that didn't... Rock no, no. Wait, not. like, what is illumination? It's where they do those, like, cool little things inside the letters in the text, you know? And it's, like, the first G or whatever also has, like, a guy fishing in it or all of those little things. Oh. I was hoping it was, like, ancient lighting design. I think it's, like, illuminated manuscript. That's way to, less like, fun. But really pretty. Yeah. Thank you for knowing what that was, because I thought it was the same thing as Megan. <laughs> I think I'm right. As tech theater people will always fall down the, this has to be the thing I do. I think I'm right. I would believe that because I do a lot of work with William Blake and the Book of Revelation, and all of his are called illuminated manuscripts. Yeah. So that makes they have a lot all the more cool sense. little letters with the. I just of... assumed they were like backlit when something was fr- referred to as an illuminated manuscript, <laughs> but that's no. probably not right at all. I think huh. I saw it at a museum exhibition about them once, and that's how I knew this. I believe that. Huh. My life is full of weird trivia. All right, so Shannon and Megan. What is St. Bridget the patron of? I have a couple of guesses. Me too. You should go first. Oh, I should go first? You're the guest. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, well, she hung out with a lot of cows, and there was a lot of dairy stuff going on. So I would, I was going to guess, like, dairy dairy makers? Dairy, what are they called? Like, cheese makers and cow milkers and all yeah, of that? Yeah, milkmaids, dairyers, but also dairier. maybe just cows. My guess was just cows. So all of those are right. <laughs> Bonus points. Is she also the patron saint of metal workers? Yeah, I was also going to guess like metal workers or illuminators. Um, But then I wanted her to be the like patron saint of lighting designers. (laughs) I thought I read that in a different list, but I don't have it in. Oh, I do have blacksmiths. Great. We'll take it. Yeah. So you guys did really well. (laughs) The full list for St. Bridget is babies, blacksmith, boatmen, cattle, chicken farmers, Children whose parents are not married, dairy maids, dairy workers, fugitives, infants, Ireland, mariners, midwives, milkmaids, newborn babies, nuns, poets, poultry, poultry farmers, poultry raisers, printing presses, sailors, scholars, travelers, and watermen. 
Lots of water and chickens in that list. <laughs> I think it's because they ran out of cows. Yeah, I think it was the, the whole farming they all put together. The traveling, I know, is because she started convents all over Ireland. Yeah. That makes sense. Also, it's interesting that she's the patron saint of Ireland and not St. Patrick. Oh, they both are. Oh, okay. There's multiple. Sure. You gotta have a lady patron saint of Ireland, too. Well, yeah. Yeah, those, from what I understand, those are like the two big ones for Ireland. Well, she was a lady priest, apparently. Yeah. Which is my favorite fact about her. I love it. I love a good lady priest. Um, also, the printing presses makes me feel more confident in elimination. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I, when you said that, I was like, okay, I think I got this one. All right. I have one more surprise for Megan. <gasps> I know what this is. <laughs> oh, God. To thank her for coming on this show. We all gathered around this table are going to share Tiny Communion. <laughs> So these are the same tiny communions that we did at the end of our communion two-parter. Because Brian had to buy like a bajillion of 50, them. Fifty, I think. Fifty. I had to buy fifty of them. They're weird oh, to try to open. How do I get the wafer out? Um, there's so you have to pull on. There's a like clear plastic. Well, yeah, I see that. Is there a different? Um, it might be easiest if you pull it off of the little cup first. Okay, I just didn't want to spill it everywhere. I do have my my Greek Bible next to me. That's fair. Though I feel like if I spilled communion grape juice on my Greek Bible, that might actually be kind of yeah. It's definitely uh definitely easier once you get it off the lid. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, these are the, the same like tiny like thimble of super sweet grape juice I'm still and wafer. Stuck. Do you want to? Do you want mine? Apparently, I'm never going to be allowed to have this. You gotta get the. I think if you get the hard plastic part off first, then the like. Once again, super great content for an audio (laughs) show. (laughs) Amazing, thank you, Shannon. All right. So what? What are you? Are you? Are you an intinction? Are you gonna take the bread and then take the shot? Nah, bread shot. All right. All right. Ready? (laughs) Here we go. And cheers. Cheers. Still makes my teeth hurt. Yeah, that's the that's the same kind of sweetness that like growing up we did little shots of. Oh, did you? Okay. Mm-hmm. I growing up Catholic, um, we always used wine, so it was always like sweet wine, but not nowhere near as sweet as that grape no, juice. That's that's on par for my experience. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it makes my teeth hurt. Uh, Megan, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find more about you? Oh gosh. If you yeah, if you have anything you want to plug, you don't have to. Encourage your humans around you to take theology classes. My future career depends upon it. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't have anything to plug. Cool. Uh, I do the studying. Read your Bible. Sure. The narratives are great. And maybe we'll have Megan again someday to cover more things as we continue on with this show. Yeah. Yeah. If you have questions for me, you can email them to Brian and Shannon, and I will respond. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll totally pass them along. We'll forward them along. So Sunday School for Heathens at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us at school number four heathens. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much to Adam Griffin for the music and to David Griffin for the editing and our logo. Fun fact, the apartment that David lived in in undergrad was then lived in by Megan in undergrad. So we got to still keeping it in the family, the Sunday school family. Yeah. I think uh, that's it for everything. Yeah, just one more time. Thank you so much, Megan, for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun. My pleasure. Thank you, Megan. Amen? Amen. Amen! <laughs> Go in peace to like and share the pod. Bye.